You can't pray one way and speak another way and expect God's work to work for you. I want to encourage you during this month to take some time and uh, fast and to pray and ask God to speak to your heart, to speak to your life this month. Amen. That with this time coming up towards the new year and towards the end of the summer, I want to encourage you that you take time to fast and to pray and ask God to speak to your heart. Amen. And so there are different types of prayer and different rules to prayer. And so I want to encourage you today, um, you know, if, how many of you watch football? Anybody enjoy watching football? You know what? When we get done here, we're probably going to go watch some football. But you know what? If you were watching football and all of a sudden they started playing football with baseball rules, you'd be a little bit confused. If somebody starts running out there on the football field with a baseball bat and starts hitting people upside the head, that'd be a little confusing, wouldn't it? What I've found is that it's important to understand that there are rules to different types of prayer, that not every prayer uses the same rules that other prayers use. And so it's important for us that we understand that there are different types of prayer. Now, I believe that there are certain key ingredients that are important for, other, for many prayers that can be universal for all prayers to be answered. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18. And I use this scripture for the prayer of agreement. We use this at the beginning of the year for those that are believing God. It says this, I say unto you that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, I'm going to read the Amplified in verse 19. It says, again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree in harmony about anything they ask within the will of God, they ask within the will of God, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, meeting together as my Father, as I am there among them. See, I think sometimes as a, as a church, it's important that as we come together, when we pray, when we pray on Wednesday night, we pray, many times we pray in the Holy Spirit, we pray by the Spirit, and when we pray, because that means that we're praying in agreement. You know, if I'm over here praying about, uh, about my dog over here, and Miss Othea's over here praying about her cat over here, and I come over this way, and Miss Othea might be praying louder than I'm praying, and all of a sudden I might start praying about, my, about her cat instead of about my dog. But if I am praying in the Spirit, and Miss Othelia is praying in the Spirit, because I know she's a born-again Holy Ghost believer and filled with the Spirit and praying in the Holy Spirit, and I'm praying in the Spirit, then we can both be praying according to the Spirit of God, which is the perfect will of God, and what we're praying is according to the Scripture, and we both begin to pray out what God wants us to pray. We might both be praying about the dog, or we might both be praying about the cat, or we might be praying about somebody that lives over in China or in North Korea that we have no idea who they are, but God needed somebody to pray for them, and so we interceded on their behalf. Prayer is a powerful thing, and that's why it's important that one of the most important things is that we have agreement in our prayer. I love that in verse 20, it says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of us. That means that our prayer not only has to be an agreement with me and another individual, but it also has to be an agreement with God. 
It is unscriptural for you to pray and believe for somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband. Now, I've heard of stories that uh, people that would go to churches just because some uh, pretty person was on the praise team and they just came just to have eye candy and to look at them and to lust after that person. But if they're already married, I'll tell you what, it's over. There's no chance. That's an unscriptural prayer. It has to be in agreement with God's word. Most importantly, I believe one of the most important prayers that we can pray in our relationship is between a husband and a wife. You know what? I found this out. I, I tell you what, married couples in here, I encourage you, get your spouse in the house of God so that way you can be in agreement because the more you're in agreement, the better your house is going to be. I found this out. I don't know about you guys, other guys, I found this out. But when my wife's happy, I'm happy. And when my wife's happy, Lexi's happy because we're in agreement. But if I do something that maybe doesn't in agreement with what she thinks or wants, how many know that there is now there's disagreement and now she might not be there for me whenever I want her to be there for me? In other words, guys, she might not be coming to bed early because now she's not in agreement anymore. And see, there's things that we need to be in agreement with. My wife and I, when we had Lexi, we had to go and we had to pay for our medical bill for Lexi being born. And so we had heard this story that, that someone had went to pay their bill. And as they went to pay their bill, they went and they talked to him and they said, if we could pay in full, they'll give you an extra discount. And so we got in the car and we agreed. And before we showed up to the billing office, before we showed up to the business office over at McLeod, over in Florence, because that's where we lived at the time, we got in the car, we held hands and we prayed and we agreed. And we said, Father, we come in agreement with you right now. We're believing for this bill to be reduced. We're believing for supernatural favor. When we go in, we're going to get at minimum 20% off of our bill because we are being in agreement. And so we went into the office. We prayed that in the car on the way there. I think something happened. We had to actually go back another time. And as we were on our way, we prayed and we agreed again. We made sure we were in agreement. We walked into the office and in the office, the person that was supposed to be there was actually on vacation that week. And so we shared kind of our story and God gave us favor. So the person that was there gave us the 20% off that we were asking for and believing God for, for our total bill of our baby being born. Now, if God will do that for me, God will do that for you. When I went to pray, I said, God, I want to remind you, I'm a giver and I'm a tither and I do what your word tells me to do. And God, as we come in agreement, I'm believing for this blessing. We didn't walk around living our life just doing whatever we want to do and say, go, God, bail me out now. Oh, God, come on my behalf right now. See, I think that's what many times many believers only use prayer for the opportunity to get out of this dire circumstance that they need, not realizing the power of prayer, the power of doing what God instructs them to do. And if they would just do that, then maybe they wouldn't wind up in the same position that they're in. Because, see, that's one of the things that we've been talking about last week, and I'm going to continue that and this week, is positioning yourself in prayer. You've got to position yourself in prayer. Somebody say, I position myself in prayer. See, as you position yourself in prayer, God will speak to your heart and tell you whether or not you're in agreement with his word. John chapter 15, verse 7 says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. That's agreement. You cannot ask whatever you desire of God 
unless God's words abide in you. Because God is only watching over his word to perform it. See, I think many times we are, we are wanting to do our own thing and go our own way, and we're saying, God, I'm going to do this. It's kind of like somebody that they bring their, their prayer, they bring their, their I'm going to say it this way, they bring their bag of poop to God, and they say, hey, God, here it is. Here it is. I need you to fix it for me. Here's my mess. Here's the thing that I'm in trouble for. Here it is. God bless it. But we knew we shouldn't have been running around on the side. From girl to girl to girl, having kid to kid to kid. And then we're coming back and saying, oh, God, please help me. Because that wasn't God's desire. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's intention. And so I don't know what it is that God has for you. But see, we must get in agreement. One simply agrees with God's word by speaking, by acting, and by, uh, by word, action, or deed. God's word, that's how we come in agreement with God's word. You'll know if you're in agreement with God's word by the things that come out of your mouth, by the things that you speak. If you want to know if you're in agreement with God's word, then ask yourself, what are the things that you say when nobody else is around? When nobody else is with you, what are the things that you're confessing? What are the things that you're saying? If you're at church and you're saying, oh, God, thank God, God heal me. God, praise the Lord. God touched me. And then all of a sudden, when you get back to your bedroom and you say, man, I don't know why God didn't heal me today. You're not in agreement with God's word. You can't pray one way and speak another way and expect God's work to work for you. You can't go in contrary to what God's word says. And so God says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Somehow we have gotten the idea that prayer makes faith work, but it doesn't. Faith makes prayer work. See, faith will work without prayer, but prayer will not work without faith. You can put your faith to work through prayer. James chapter 5 says this, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. Not just any prayer will save the sick, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Bible goes on to say this, Is any afflicted among you, let them pray. Not ask the pastor to pray. Not ask your neighbor to pray. You ought to pray. If you're being afflicted by the enemy, then you need to position yourself and begin to pray to God. But I think that many times we do go to pray to God, but we haven't gotten the word level to the place that instead of praying to God by faith, we start praying to God in fear and saying, oh, God, the enemy's attacking me. The enemy's afflicting me. And instead of building God up, we end up building up the enemy. And so now we wonder, why isn't God answering our prayer? See, look at this. The disciples asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, teach us how to pray because they knew that there was power in Jesus because of his prayer life. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8 says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. How many know God knows your need before you ask? In this manner, pray, and let's pray this prayer together. We should know it's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. As a New Testament, in Jesus' name, amen. See, Jesus hadn't yet died yet, so they just prayed it that way. But I believe it's important that we include in Jesus' name. Verse 14 goes on to say, For if we forgive men of their trespasses, our heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. Do you know that that, that right there, I think, is, one, is another major ingredient and key to prayer for your prayers being answered? You know what? I found this out that if I have not been respectful to my wife, then it hinders my prayers. And at the same time, if I'm not, if I'm holding on to something or again, holding something against someone that I need to forgive, it hinders my prayer. It doesn't matter how wrong. It doesn't matter how bad. It doesn't matter what it is that someone did to me. Even if they stabbed me in the back, even if they were the worst person, if I don't forgive that person, then God is saying in his word right here that God will not forgive you of your trespasses. And so I encourage you that you make sure Your kingdom come, verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't want us just waiting till one day when we get to heaven. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Yes, that will be a glorious day. But you can actually live heaven on earth. You can live in the blessings of God. I believe this, that we are living in a parallel to where Adam lived whenever he was living in the garden. And see, he ended up selling out himself and the world to the devil and what the enemy wanted to do. But you have a choice with the words that you make and the things that you do. And you can choose whether or not to live according to the scripture or live according to what the enemy wants you to live. And then look at the verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to share with us a couple of things before we go. And one is that what is the source of our trials and our temptations? The Bible said in Matthew 6, 13, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When he's teaching disciples to pray that you entered not into temptation if the trials and the temptations came from God. Why would God ask you to pray to lead us not into temptation if they were from God? If God knows everything and we know the word says God has all knowledge, then I wonder why God would have to try and to test us to find out what we would do in certain situations. See, the word also says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, since Jesus has authored our faith... God does not need to try it. He knows it will work. Satan, the enemy, is the one who comes to try and test our faith. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What evil is he talking about? Evil from, of trials and temptations. We can rise to a new level of faith when we realize that it is the thief, the enemy, that steals, kills, and destroys. It is Jesus who gives us life abundantly. When, we, when you draw the battle line and you put the line in the sand, you will have 50% of the battle won if you will set at liberty in your prayer life and know that God is not the one that sent the test, the trial into your life. You know, this is the way you'll hear it said, and it'll put in a way, you know, in a religious spin that'll sound, oh, that's so great. That, oh, you know what, well, God put this cancer on me so that I could go to the hospital and witness. Why don't we just go to the hospital and witness? God didn't need to put cancer on you to go to the hospital and witness. You could have just gone to the hospital and witnessed. Amen? 
God does not need to tempt us to try us to test us with sickness or, or, or disease or poverty. God has redeemed us. Jesus, it says this, Jesus came to deliver us out of the snare of the fowl. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. Somebody say amen to that. If God put the disease or the cancer, for example, if God put that on you, then why would you believe God to take it off of you? Because if God is the one that gave it to you, if God is the one that blessed you with it, then what good does it do to call on God and say, God, I need you to heal me from this thing? But no, we had to have an understanding and a knowledge that God is not the one that's trying to tempt us, that's trying to try us, that's trying to, 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 to do those things. But God is there. He's on our side. How many know that God is for you and not against you? If God be for you, what does it matter who's against you? See, you can use your faith shield to quench Every fiery dart of the devil, not some of them, every, but until you determine the cause, you cannot use your faith. You cannot believe the thing will go away if God put it on you. Sometimes it may take some time. The hardest part we have in seed time and harvest is the time season. We planted, we love harvest season. Many times we enjoy planting season, but it's the time season. It's the time that we're waiting on God to do something in our life. And we're saying, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Where is it? Where's my crop? Where's my plant? Where's my fruit? But see, God wants us as we're faithful to God. See, the enemy suggests that God might be using this or using that to perfect you. And it may sound good, but it's not the truth. The truth is that God sent his word to heal us. God sent his word to teach us. God sent his word so that if we would read the book, if we would read the word, we wouldn't have to walk through the wilderness. We wouldn't have to go through the same things that others went through. We could live according to the scripture. I believe the Bible is full of examples of people that believe God and were successful and also people that believe God for a time and then they stopped believing God and things didn't go so right for them. And what happened? They had to get back on the right path. They had to position themselves into a place that they would be able to receive of what God had for them. One of those positions is agreement. Another position is forgiveness. you got to forgive. And another one is that you got to know where the temptation or the trial or the thing that the enemy is trying to do is coming from. you got to know that that's from the enemy and not from God. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 6. Because next week I want to talk about prayer armor, positioning yourself with prayer armor. Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the armor of God, is actually prayer armor. It says this in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and the whole armor of God that ye might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, notice that the, the Paul said being strong in the power of the Lord's might, not your own might. It is not something we work up to. We must simply be obedient and be clothed. Now, next week, I'll talk more about that being clothed in the armor. You know what? You can't just expect God's armor to just grow on you. God's armor isn't like, like a mustache or a beard. It doesn't just grow on you. All the ladies said, thank God it doesn't grow like that. But no, you got to pick it up. You got to put the armor of God on. 
And once you put it on, you can't take it off. You've got to have the armor of God on. And if you don't know what the armor of God is, then you need to get in the scripture because that means if you don't know to put the helmet of salvation on, if you don't know to have your feet shod with the gospel of peace, if you don't know to have the belt of truth gird about your loins, then you're going around unprepared and you're wondering, why am I walking in not enough or just enough or in lack? You don't have the truth of God's word gird about your loins. If I was going to battle, I would make sure that my loins were girded. I'm protecting one area to make sure. I mean, I'm putting a helmet on, but of all the areas, I mean, one of the number one things is you make sure that your loins are girded. When these guys go out on the football field and they go out to play sports, that I'm sure that they have something that's underneath that clothing that's girding their loins. And the Bible says for us to gird our loins with truth. If you don't have truth then you are missing the blessing. You are missing a key element to your armor. That belt of truth, it ends up holding on the armor. It ends up holding it all together. You know, this morning I got a belt on. If I didn't have this belt on, my pants might fall down. And see, I've got to have the truth of God's word. That's what holds up the armor. But I think many times what happens is, is we get a word, we get a scripture, and all of a sudden the enemy comes and he begins to attack the truth that you've heard. He comes to me, he goes to say, no, the Bible says that you're healed, but look at that. Oh, you got that cough today. Oh, your back's, your, your back's aching a little bit. Oh, your leg might be throbbing a little bit. And all of a sudden you have a choice. Am I going to speak the truth or am I going to say, you know what? Yeah, I really don't feel that well today because it's not God that tempts us. The Bible even says this, that God does not tempt any man, neither tempteth he with evil. God does not tempt us. But I want to look at one place, one key important thing. It says this. It goes on in the scripture. It goes on to talk about the shield of, of faith and the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 12 through 16 it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about you with truth and having your breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace and above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Somebody say all. See, the devil ought not to be beating, beating you up this week. Why? Because you got the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts. Not some of them, all of them. Sometimes I think we talk to people and they're, and they're just like, well, this week and this, this thing happened and this and next week that thing happened. And then the next day, this thing happened. You're not putting on your armor. You don't have the shield of faith. You got to have a shield of faith. It says all the fiery darts. Many times we are missing it when the place we can't even get to the place that we have the shield of faith because we haven't yet put on the breastplate of righteousness. Did you ever notice this is all the fiery darts of the wicked? Someone say yes, but I just can't do it. The word says you can. Why can't you do it? The word says that you can defeat all the fiery darts of the enemy. Yes, but you see, I am so unworthy. Now we have told on yourself, you have on the whole armor of God, but you left the breastplate of righteousness to the side. You left, left something that was one of the vital keys. Yes, you might not feel righteous, but you are. You are the righteousness of God. Somebody just shout out, say, I am redeemed. See, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but Jesus' righteousness, he clothes us with his righteousness. God has told us to put on all of his clothes. If we don't feel righteous, it's because you don't have on your breastplate. See, the church has been so sin conscious that we need to become righteous conscious. 
See, there is not a Christian who doesn't know about sin, but how many know that they are the righteousness of God in Christ? See, we must renew our minds to the fact that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And when it becomes revelation in your spirit, sin will cease to be a problem for you. It will be, as Paul said, sin shall not have dominion over you. See, you can't go around in this unworthy attitude to say, you know what, well, I'm just not worthy. I'm not worthy for God to answer my prayer. By the time you get to start praying in faith, you won't have an ounce of faith left because you've taught doubt and unbelief and just opened the door and you left your breastplate to the side. But when you come in, you ought to say, man, I got on my breastplate of righteousness. It's not by what I do. It's by what Jesus said. It's by what Jesus did. Jesus, his blood is covered over me. And I thank the Lord that I've got the breastplate of righteousness. That it's not my righteousness, but it's his righteousness that's covering me. And I thank you, Lord. Now I can come boldly to the throne and I can begin to pray and thank God for what God said in his word. But see, we got to have the whole armor of God. Not some of the armor of God. I want to encourage you today that as you go to pray this week, as you go to fast this week, to begin to make sure to say, God, I'm going to check my armor. I don't even ever take, I don't take my armor off. I just check it to make sure it's still there. Every morning when my mom used to drive me and my sister to school, she would make sure that we would put on the armor of God every morning. I'm starting to kind of do that with Lexi, and I'll always say, Lexi, let's check our armor. You got your shield. You got your sword. You got your breastplate. She said, what's a breastplate? You got your shoes, you got your belt, but it's not something that we see in the natural. It's something that we have in the spirit. And if we want our prayers to be answered, we've got to go. See, prayer, I believe prayer is kind of like an opportunity that when Jehoshaphat, when they went to go to pray to God and to fast, they were going to war by praying. And God gave them the answer, and then he declared the answer. You don't have to wait. You can receive your answer in prayer. And once you receive it, then you begin to speak what God said in his word. Allow God to speak to you. Take time this month, this week, and ask God, God, speak to me. God, I'm putting on. I've checked my armor. I've got my armor on. And by faith, I'm going to pray to you. And I thank you, Lord, you're going to get me the answer. I thank you, Lord. And once I receive the answer, I'm going to speak the answer.